Open those to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And as you're turning there, just what a... Can we just celebrate what happened with Ben and his dad again? That was pretty fantastic, am I right? Yeah. I've loved being here. This is uh, our concluding week in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we started on April the 2nd. I've loved being here and getting to know you guys and getting to know your personalities and your likes and your dislikes and your other dislikes and I've loved being able to get to know the way that our church functions. I love our elders. They're a group of men who serve our church by leading and none of them are perfect as you would probably shake your head and agree to but they are really good men who love our church body and who want to um, who want us to make an impact here in Lake Jackson. I love our deacons. There was a serve day last week where they got together, some of them, and they did some of the repair work around the church. I was informed this morning that a lot of that happened in my office, and I, I don't know. I, I mean, I've not been doing anything in there, not tearing the place up, but um, my last church in Chattanooga, it was pretty interesting. Baptism was unique. I was in a gymnasium. Uh, with people who decided to be there and I had some really good men who helped me out with everything Um, there were some who and they would come and they would set up uh, the baptismal we were a church that was ran by committees which means that it took approximately 47 years to make things happen and um, but we would have a baptismal that we would bring in that we would set up and uh, we never really had any problems with it until uh, a few weeks ago or really probably six months ago and we come in we set the baptism up everyone's got their towels everybody's ready and a a young man who was super shot comes to step into the baptistry and he gets into the baptistry and it was one of those where there was a little place for him to sit down and he could just put his feet down in the bottom and I just would lay the person back bring the person up there were times where I was told that I did not do a good enough job of baptizing because I didn't get people wet enough so I started making sure that I kept them under for just a little bit of time make them gasp is what I learned to do So this young man was there and it was time for us to baptize him. One of the shyer people that I've ever spent any time with as a pastor. And he sits down in the baptistry. He had actually asked at one point if he could be baptized with just me and him in the room. And I said, I don't think it works like that, man. But uh, he's there in his little place. And he's seated. I dunk him. I bring him out of the water. And he begins to walk. And when he begins to walk, the room was different than our room here. Because if you'll notice, there's carpet underneath you. In our gymnasium, we did not have carpet. We had, well, we had cement covered with a very thin layer of something else. I think it was called paint. And... (laughs) When he begins to walk, he steps over the carpet. There were just two little pieces of rug. And he slips and bam! Now remember, this is the shyest person I've ever met. And I thought, on the day that he joined our church, he will decide never to come back again. Uh, It was one of those situations where you're like, okay, I did not do enough to give him a very strong foundation. We did not think through foundational elements of what he's doing, of where he's going. We did not think about the steps that he's about to take. We thought about where he was, 
but not where he's headed. Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, as he brings a conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount, he reminds us to not only think about where we are, but where we're headed. He, he reminds us that he's thought about that, and that he's given direction for that, and he's given direction for me and for you to, to hear that, and he's still speaking to a crowd of people as he speaks to us. So I think one of the things that we can miss when we read through the Bible, particularly when Jesus is, is teaching to a group of people, is that there are people there and what he says has real life implication and application for them. The same can be said for Paul. When he stands up to teach, it's not just, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand up to teach today and people are going to transcribe it and put it down. These sermons of Jesus, the sermons of Peter, the sermons of Paul, they have real life both implication and application for the world that they live in. And through God's, through God's miraculous work, he's chosen to use those things for us as well. So we see how as believers we're united with everyone who's ever placed their faith in Jesus in history. That this is not a teaching that is specifically for a group of people. But it's a teaching that is for a group of people who are called to God through what Jesus has done for us. So go with me in Matthew chapter 7 just, just, just to back it up just a moment. We're going to start in verse 21 to let you know where Jesus was last week or where we were. Now, Jesus was in my heart last week and today too. But in, we're going to begin in verse 21 and we're going to go through verse 29. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do not did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Spiritual people, apart from Jesus, are not spiritual. 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and beat on that rock. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came... And the winds blew, and they beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 28. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So I'm going to pray aloud. 
Uh, here is one of the things that I always love to remind uh, people of. Prayer is not me talking with my eyes closed while you listen with your eyes closed. I invite you to, to bow your heads right now. And as I pray over us and we look at this text, I want you to pray that God will dig into your heart through this. And that he will secure what needs to be secured. That he will shake what needs to be shaken. So let's bow our heads together. And I'll give you a moment and then I'll pray over us. Jesus, we meet together around your word every Sunday. In our daily readings, I pray that we are meeting with you. But here in this gathering, where you have brought us together as the body of Christ, where we've celebrated the things that you call us to celebrate, and we have seen a picture of what you do in the hearts of, of men and women who come to faith. You, you bring them from death to life. I pray that for those of us who are believers, you will continue to renew in us what it means to have life. For those who do not believe in you in this room, I pray that you may save them. God, for those in this room who call you their foundation, I pray that when life happens, that that foundation will hold secure. Lord, let us be people who build our house on the rock so that when the floods come and the winds come, and they beat against the house. That it does not fall. Because we have a foundation that cannot be shaken. And that is you, our cornerstone. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. And all the church says. Amen. First thing y'all want you to write down if you're a note taker. If you're not a note taker, just remember this. Uh, firm foundation runs deep. A firm foundation runs deep. As Jesus passed on from there in verse 20, uh, or that's the wrong verse, uh, in verse 24 again, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. So when the storm would come at the people of God, and when the storms do come at the people of God, we are called to be secure in something. Now remember, when Jesus is preaching and teaching here, he is talking to a group of people who have specific everyday needs, everyday scenarios, and they are in a setting, and we would be in a... We would be overlooking the importance of that setting and what Jesus is saying if we don't think through it. For me, I've taught through this passage a few times, and I have I remember hearing teachings on this passage when I was little. 
I would even think that some of you guys have sang songs in children's church or in whatever we do or you have done historically as people of faith from other congregations and even here. You've thought through this passage and there is imagery that has been given to us through videos, through various means to show us what this looks like. And let me just be honest with you, based upon everything, as if I'm not being honest all the time. I promise I'm not lying every Sunday. But when you look, most of the stuff that we get in regards to imagery for this passage, they're inaccurate. Based on everything that we read in regards to Jewish history and custom, they are inaccurate representations. So so here's what we'll usually see. We will see when you talk about a house on the rock and a house on the sand, you've got this dilapidated structure over here on the sand. And it it looks bad from the get-go. Like no one thought through the fact that one of those walls is two feet higher than the others. There's no foundation there. The, the, The grill outside looks ruined and rusty. It's got an ugly dog. That's what happens on the house on the sand. It's a bad spot. No one would ever want to live there. That's a terrible house. So when the winds and the rains come, of course they'll destroy that house. But there's a house on the rock. It's on the other side of town where foundation is. Lock, steady, secure. White picket fences. They've got a labradoodle because they're in vogue. Three stories. They've got the pretty kids. And that house is so secure in and of itself because of where it's built when the storm comes no one would ever think that joint's going to get knocked over so before the storms ever come based on the imagery we've we've historically gotten we know which house is going to stink and we know which house is going to stand but Jesus is preaching to people who are on a beach They're on the shore. I've learned a lot about beaches since I've been in Texas. Do you know you're the only state in the world where people are allowed to drive their trucks on beaches? <laughs> it throws me off a little bit. Like, hey, Alder, go play and avoid that 4 by 4 There's a type of sand as Jesus preaches and teaches here in this passage. And we're not talking about one house over here that's already messed up from the get-go and one house over here that every one of us would want to live in before we ever saw the storm come. You've got two houses that look the same. They're side by side. They're neighbors, 205, 207. They are interacting with one another on a daily basis. They cook out together if people cooked out in the Bible. They have the same dog. They're kids. They wear the same stuff. They go to school together. The situation that Jesus paints is one that's not so much about where you build. It's how deep you go. There's a sand in this part of the world called alluvial sand. And here's how it worked. It was a sand that was secure as long as everything was secure. So you begin to dig deep into the the area, this area of Galilee. 
And as you begin to dig deep, you eventually get to the alluvial sand. And as long as there are no storms, that sand is secure for your home. That, hand, that sand will hold your house if the weather's great. That sand will stay tight and stay firm against everyday minor problems. But they don't live in a world that just has minor problems. They live in a world where the storms are coming. Where the rain is coming. Where the rage is coming. And if all that you do is dig to the alluvial sand. And plant your house on what is secure as long as everything's okay. When the storm comes, it wipes you out. The other house looks just like it. Same fence, same dog, same everything. But the owner of this house has made a decision. And that's to dig deeper. That's to go beyond the alluvial sand. To a deeper place. Because when you go to the deeper place. When the storm comes, it's secure. You're all going to be secure as long as no storms come. But when they come... That's when we see the difference in who the wise man is and who the foolish man is. In 2017, many of us can do this idea of Christian faith apart from God as long as there are no storms. And people can look at us and see that we're secure. Now, there are people, for sure, that, that their house is already dilapidated. And from the get-go, you're like, oh, that house is broken down. But, but for most of us who gather in rooms like this, and for most of us, if I'm being honest, who gather in this room, we begin to look and we begin to see how secure we are in our foundation. Not when things are good, but when things are rough. What holds you up? A secure foundation, a firm foundation runs deep. Coming alongside of that, a, a faulty foundation runs shallow. Now, where's Jesus going here? Because he just brought us to the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. What is he saying is the firm foundation? The firm foundation... It's him. The Old Testament, over and over and over and over and over, they talk about the promised one of God. Those scriptures take us to the promised Messiah. We get to Second Peter, or First Peter, he echoes that. Christ is the cornerstone for everything. Everything takes us to Jesus. Well, the Bible... Is the Bible the firm foundation? No, it is through knowledge of the Bible that we grasp who the firm foundation is. Because the Bible is not the point, Jesus is the point. So Scripture is taking us to Jesus and helping my heart and your heart to come in line with who Jesus is. Now what's scary for us is that most of us, or a lot of us, or maybe just a few of us, we're biblically literate. We know the Bible. 
But, does the Bible help you to know yourself in light of Jesus? Because if Jesus is saying to me, he's my foundation, and his word is how I secure myself on him as the foundation, if I never secure myself in him and simply secure myself in my own interpretation of the word, I am very much like the Pharisees. Jesus has already quoted places where the Pharisees have misquoted the Bible. How the Pharisees have used the Bible as this sword. How they use it and they wield it as a weapon. But before the Bible can ever be a sword that, you, that is used by you, it has to be a, a scalpel used on you. God would use his word to dig into us so that we would see and know Jesus. Rick Warren, pastor of a church that, uh, honestly, we don't always agree with. But you know what? They don't always agree with us either. He said this. I believe the Bible is inerrant and authoritative. I do not believe my interpretation of it always is. One of the scariest and most dangerous things in the world is... Those who proclaim to be followers of Jesus who just know a lot of stuff about the Bible. Look, God's not preparing you for a trivia contest. None of you are getting signed up for Jeopardy next week. But what you are signed up for is a life that says that you're secured in the foundation that is Jesus and that you have dug deep in Him through the Word that is your shovel to get there. Are we firmly planted in Jesus? Because if not, if we are not lining our lives up with Jesus, then when something bad comes, your wife doesn't want to be married to you anymore. You're going to be shaken and I'm going to be shaken too. If we have not secured ourselves in Jesus, when we find out that one of our kids is sick, and the winds come and the storms come, then our hearts are going to hurt. When you lose your job or get moved to another part of the world, if we are not secure in who we are in Jesus, then we will miss a firm foundation runs deep. How deep are you? Are you beyond the alluvial sand of your everyday spirituality to the place where... If it comes, you're ready. Are you surrounding yourselves with people who are reminding you that this Jesus is so good that if the storms come, you're ready? The storms are coming. For every one of us, we don't get to opt out. Dig deep. Because when we dig deep, it begins to affect our lives. Digging deep in Jesus means that we go outward because of Jesus. Inward transformation comes with outward expectation. That we would see our neighbor and we would see that we have a firm foundation. And, and you know their house looks just like yours, but you know that they didn't dig deep enough. And they may be glossy, and they may be attractive, 
And they may have everything that you want and everything that you honestly have, but you know there is nothing beyond that. And when the problems come, they have no hope. And you have been placed next door to them, around the corner from them, across the way from them. I don't know what your places of work look like. I just think it looks like some lab. But you have been placed around people to show what firm foundation looks like when this house gets rocked. Firm foundation runs deep. A faulty foundation runs shallow. Verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat against the house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. We see Jesus talking to the hearer, the overhearer, and the jeerer. Those who are his disciples, those who are the crowd, and those who are the Pharisees. And he is saying, everything comes to me and some of you are just here to be entertained. And we still live in a world, for whatever reason, where Christianity is just your Sunday morning entertainment. I'm not captivating enough to entertain. Our music's good. It's not you too. Somewhere this has to be deeper. That we would see this as a celebration of Jesus and not just us coming together for the sake of coming together. We don't have time for that. The third thing we see in this text is that a fake foundation runs out. So we've got people who are followers of Jesus, some who may be followers of Jesus, and you've got some who hate Jesus. And at this point in the Sermon on the Mount, they begin to see that Jesus, he's different. He's more different than they expected. And these people who have chosen to align themselves with him are seeing what that means for those who hate him. When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. Can you imagine that? Like, like sitting there with Jesus talking? Astonished. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Jesus has authority and has just said to them, everything that you hear, them saying, is untrue. It's not the only place he does it though. There's another place in scripture where he's even more blunt. I've been preaching for about 14 years. No, longer than that. I've been preaching okay for maybe 14 years. And when you stand up to preach every Sunday, when you have a congregation, my last group of people that I would spend time with, I knew when someone walked in if they were in a bad mood by the expression on their face. And then, as a pastor, you just know there are some people that are going to not have an expression on their face, but they're going to be a problem every time, every day. 
So you love them and pray for them and hope that their job moves them. But with those people... It's a joke, people. Go with me. But when you begin to, to see this, what you notice is that... I, I, I'm lost. I don't even know where I'm going. I got nervous there. Uh, when you begin to look at this and you begin to, to see Jesus preaching and teaching to a regular or to these people, he's talking specifically to these Pharisees. Here's what, what he does in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 20. Write this down and read this later. Jesus preaching and teaching. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, similar to the Sermon on the Mount, speaking to followers, beware of the scribes. Jesus is preaching and he's pointing to people in the room. How fun would that be? (laughs) Beware of the scribes. They like to walk around in long robes and they love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the house and the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. But they devour widows. Houses. And for a pretense, they make long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. These Pharisees will wear robes to stand out. They would have conversations to be overheard. And they prayed for the widows to be heard by people while they take money from those widows to take care of the synagogue, what was in actuality taking care of them. They were filling their pockets. And Jesus says to them, if that's your heart, if that's who you are, that comes to a conclusion because you've not received your reward like he says in Matthew. He says, you've received your condemnation. You're going to be punished. While Jesus is preaching and teaching this sermon, there are a few things happening around him. About a hundred miles away, as Jesus says, build your house on the rock. Herod is rebuilding the temple. In John chapter 2, we see a picture of Jesus talking about that. But in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is preaching a sermon. And he says, the temple that Herod's building, it's going to collapse. In Matthew 16, he's already talked about foundation. Matthew 16, he's in a conversation with Peter. You may have heard of him. You probably thought you were like him. All of us, right? We've all thought we were like Peter at some point. Peter's the, of Peter and Paul, Peter's the one you want to hang out with and order pizza with that's kosher. Paul, we don't want to be, like he's scary. But Jesus is having this conversation where he looks over the city in Matthew 16. And as he looks over the city, he sees that all of these people are moving and hustling and bustling and they're all looking for a Messiah. And as he has this chat with Peter and the disciples, he said, who do these people think that I am? Well, some say that you're Elijah and some think that you're John the Baptist or Jeremiah. We all think you're somebody. And Jesus comes back and says, but but what about you? What about you? It's a really helpful question for us in light of Firm foundation runs deep. In a world where everyone has an opinion about Jesus, false or fabricated, they've got opinions about Jesus. What are you saying about him as someone who claims to be his disciple?
Jesus is there talking to Peter and Peter comes out and says, You are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Now remember, Herod has this crew scurrying to rebuild the temple. They have a foundation that Jesus says will be torn down. And Peter has just said, you're the foundation. And Jesus replies, and he says this, I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, that tricks people a little bit. Uh, We always think that he's saying that Peter is the rock that the church will be built upon. That we will smell what the rock is cooking. That we will think the rock is fantastic. And we should think the rock is fantastic. However, he references two rocks in that. Peter's name means pebble. And Jesus is saying to Peter, you are a pebble. A pebble that I will use and a pebble that I love and a pebble that will be um, very influential in building the church. But it's almost as if Jesus, because we missed his motions, you're the pebble and on this rock I'll build my church. That rock is that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And we begin to see how God builds his church on the foundation that is Jesus with pebbles. Pebbles like Peter. Pebbles like the other disciples with the exception of Judas. Pebbles like Paul. Pebbles like Augustine or if you mispronounce it, Augustine. Pebbles like John Calvin. Pebbles like the Wesley brothers. Pebbles like Billy Graham. Pebbles like Jared Manning. Pebbles like Matt Chandler that everyone likes to listen to. Pebbles. 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 On the foundation that is Jesus, the cornerstone, but that doesn't even get us to where Jesus is going. Because what we have done in a culture that likes lights and stages is we have decided that every pebble that God uses to build the church will stand up there. And that as God uses the pebbles to build the church, we'll make sure that that person has microphones and that person is well lit. And we miss the pebbles that God uses to build the church sit in seats like this. And that he builds what he is as a group of people come together around the idea that Jesus is their cornerstone. Pebbles like Leslie. Pebbles like Josh Ray, who I think is behind me. Pebbles like the Kears. Pebbles like the Smiths. Pebbles united together around the cornerstone that is Jesus. Pebbles who celebrate what he does in his word. Pebbles who live sacrificially because Christ has sacrificed himself for us. Pebbles like Daisy. Pebbles like the people in the room I don't know. 
Jesus building the church on the cornerstone that is him. Uniting them together. Pebbles like Ben. Pebbles like Ben in the booth. Pebbles. So we as a church together are to celebrate that we have a cornerstone who is Jesus and that we are pebbles who have been united for his purpose. So let's be pebbles. Holding fast to who is our rock and digging deep so that we can know him better and better. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, you are good. Your word is true. And we're about to celebrate how you unite us. So even now, my guys who are going to help with our communion, I'd love for you to come up. Lord, here at Grace Bible, I pray that we have laid ourselves out before you and we have declared there is one rock that is deep enough and strong enough to secure us when the winds and the rain and the storms and the elements and, the, and, the, and hell itself comes. And that is you, Jesus. And we celebrate that we've been invited into that body of faith today through communion. My guys are about to distribute the, the bread and the juice. And take that and hold on to that. And we'll take it together in just a moment. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for those who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 